Farmers. Farmers prepare. Farmers plant. Farmers water. Farmers weed. And farmers harvest. We're working off of that analogy, that that reality, and we're doing a sent forward series as a church and just talking about what does it look like to be a sent forward people in that. Uh, We are called and commissioned to make disciples. We are called and commissioned to make disciples collectively and individually. And that is a weight and a responsibility and a joy and a delight that should be happening in all of our lives. And as we want to be a people increasingly deep in the Lord, we also want to be a people where that depth is being shown in our going out for the Lord as God has placed us around people. And when it comes to living sent forward today, kind of a key concept for today is is as we think about living sent forward, I want to suggest we need to think less about presentation and more about conversation. Less about presentation and more about conversation. In a Christian culture, in a Bible Belt reality, uh, sharing your faith through presentation is understandable because you are already presenting to where there are some things at the base that that base worldview of a person is already there. I'll say this as well. Uh, a presentation has a feel of dauntingness to it. I mean, who, who gives presentations? Well, people that are trained in them, people who are really good at them, people who are more experts at that, uh, so on and so forth. And most people are like, I'm not a presentation person. I'm just a regular folk kind of guy, regular folk kind of gal, right? I mean, that's, that's more what we normally are. And so when, even when we hear about sharing our faith in a presentation reality, there's already a, an aspect of that that is daunting to us. Instead, I want to suggest as we're going to take a look at today uh, is that Jesus was about conversations, not so much about presentations. I think we see that in his life with it. Um, we don't live in a Christian culture anymore. And that is an important reality for God's people to understand. We live in a secular culture. We live in a world where the common rule world view is that, well, uh, uh, truth isn't just questioned. Truth is now self-determined. That has upped the ante on post, from postmodernism. It's not just questioning truth, it's actually self-determining truth. And when we self-determine truth, we have now put ourselves in a God place. Because we can self-determine what it is. And not only that, but we self-determine it and then we celebrate that we've self-determined it. It's kind of like we put ourselves as small G gods and then we celebrate that we're small G gods. And we have a problem in that reality. And in that reality, that's the world that we live. And I think seriously, just straight up with you, I think God's people are grieving over the fact that we live in a post-Christian secular world. And instead of grieving over, which I totally understand, I think we need to just go, hey, this is the world that we now have to be able to do ministry in. This is, the light is brighter 
as the world gets darker. Okay, and I want to talk about that today and point us to that today because I believe that's what was happening with Jesus as we observe Jesus. And in fact, here's a key kind of statement for today. Jesus lovingly, humbly, boldly, routinely, and intentionally initiated pointing people to truth conversations. That's what Jesus did. I don't really see Jesus having presentations. I really see Jesus having conversations, lovingly, humbly, routinely, boldly, intentionally, again and again. And today we're going to go to four of them. I'm just going to take you to four of them. The first one is to the interested many. Uh, The second one is the inquiring leader. Uh, The third one is the outcast woman. And the last one is going to be the skeptical governor. I want us to see these conversations of what's going on. And here's the deal. It's not so much about the data that Jesus presents. It's let's just watch Jesus. Just watch him. Just watch him in this and take it in. Don't get caught up in the details of the the conversation itself. Uh, Let's get lost in Jesus himself. In fact, I'm going to make reference to a passage we'll go to a little later. John 18, verse 38, Pilate replies to Jesus, and he says, Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth. That's the world we live in, friends. People are wondering what is truth. It just happens to be now that people have the boldness to self-declare their own truth, and they need help. They need help to think. I just want for you to know, today is the kind of a sermon where we're not going to get to the end and I'm going to have three application points or four application points or one application point. Uh, I want to just on the table so you all know, today is a conversation from me to you about having conversations. Okay? This is a conversation today about having conversations. So God, help us to to grab a hold of this. Help us to uh, uh, even just maybe get some new perspective on how to be thinking about being a people in our world today. Untruths are everywhere, God, those weeds of untruths. And you have put your word, your light, the work of your son, the spirit of God here, the people of God, for us to be able to be used by you to bring truth in an untruth world. Help us to increasingly be like Jesus in this arena. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, not only do farmers, but disciples. Disciples prepare. Disciples plant. Disciples water. Disciples weed. That's going to be today. And next Sunday is disciples harvest. Uh, Since today is about disciples made by weeding, weeds. Let's just think about weeds. Weeds are annoying, aren't they? Those blasted things. Weeds infiltrate. Uh, Weeds compete. Uh, Weeds overtake. Weeds dismantle. And what I'm talking about in this conversation today is how weeds of worldviews, of unbiblical worldviews, I would say it this way, weeds of untruth infiltrate truth. They overtake truth. They infiltrate, they, 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 they meander their way in, they compete with, they dismantle truth. And, and we are called to be people who are, well, lovingly and humbly bringing truth to light in a untruth, weedy world. 
And by the way, uh, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your schoolmates, all those who are in need of Christ, uh, they are thinking through the weeds that are being presented to them today. Uh, what is their worldview? How do we think about this? How, how do we move ahead? And, and, and I just want to, again, take us to four conversations. Uh, let's begin with the first one, the interested many, uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And those of you in small groups, turn there. Matthew chapter 5, I'll turn there. But those of you in small groups, Matthew 5 through 7 is called what? Okay, you better know that. Because like that's what small groups are doing right now, is walking through the sermon on the Mount. I just want to put this. I actually think the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus having a conversation with people. Let me work into that a little bit here. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. Matthew chapter 4, he begins his ministry in Galilee. He calls a few to follow him. We see that. He's teaching in the synagogues. Uh, he's loving on people. And out of even that, great crowds are now following him at the end of chapter 4. You come into the beginning of chapter 5 and we have the Sermon on the Mount. Again, as I've noted, I would suggest this is a conversation. I realize it's a one-way conversation, but I think Jesus is essentially doing a conversation with them. He's having a one-way dialogue that is helping people to think through truth and untruth, to think through worldviews, as we would call it today. I think this is a loving, humble coming alongside them, and he's drawing them. He's, he's almost wanting them to think with them. He doesn't come to a conclusion with three sermon points in a didactic kind of a way to tell them to go home. He actually concludes with two contrasts of how people are going to respond to the whole thing which I would even say, there is worldview. Uh, let me just uh, work this through a little bit. He's coming alongside them to help them think through what is truth. And I'm going to note this. Great crowds are following him. Hey, hey friends, great crowds don't follow someone who's annoying Great crowds don't follow someone who is, well, always on a Facebook fight or a Twitter tirade. People want to be around someone who wants to have a conversation. Are you that kind of person? Because I'm just going to say, today, if you want to grab an application, it starts there. If you're not the kind of person, even around people who are without Christ, that people without Christ want to be around you, to have conversations, it's got to start there. Because Jesus had people always wanting to be around him. And so we come to chapter 5 in this great crowd that is following, and he begins this, quote, Sermon on the Mount, which I would say is really a, con a conversation on the Mount. Uh, it begins with the Beatitudes. It's an entire worldview mind blow. It's essentially, you think this, I'm telling you it's this way. And he goes down these beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And implied in that is, is you're hearing that blessed are those who, who grab a hold and take and manipulate and work the system and, and so on and so forth. 
And yet here Jesus is beginning with this mind blow of worldviews. And then after that, we see that verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? That means there's dark or, or unsalty and there's salt. In a bland world, bring the salt. Oh, in a dark world, bring the light. He's again showing there's a dark, there's an unsalty, be the salt, be the light. Uh, in our small group, we'd say be the coin, but that's an internal joke for us. Okay, that meant nothing to you. Um, love our small group. Uh, chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, or 21 to 48. This was the text from a few weeks ago in, in small group. Uh, you can see it in your, your Bible. Uh, I'm showing it a little bit differently. I've taken out all the headings and I've taken out the paragraphs. Well, one of the things about when we read uh, like a sermon on the Mount, a conversation on the Mount, one of the things about that is, is we see the headings and we see the paragraphs and so we think that way. But if all that is there you, and you are hearing it, you don't process it that way. Jesus wasn't going point, 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 conversation item, conversation item, conversation item. Actually, in this whole big section, he is doing something with this. He is doing something greater than wanting to have a conversation about divorce or wanting to have a conversation about this or that. He is helping them see that there are worldviews out there. And you can see I've put in the green that Jesus says, you have heard. That's a worldview. He's saying that you have heard this, and he goes on, and you have heard, and you again you have heard, and you have heard, and, and what's the last one? You have heard. It's like there's this way of thinking. There's this been taught. There's this way that is out there. And then Jesus contrasts all of that with a, uh, but I say to you. Truly I say to you, but 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 I say to you. What is Jesus doing? If you really are listening to this and not reading it paragraph by paragraph with the things in it all, you are understand Jesus is saying, here's a way, here's a way. Oh, here's a way, here's a way. Oh, here's a subject. Here's a subject. All of those breakouts in there are illustrations to what Jesus is moving to as the final point. All of those are illustrations. If, if small groups, if you got all caught up in each of those conversations, you're missing the big point. Because Jesus is putting all those out as illustrations to get them thinking about, wow, they say, but you say, they say, but you say. And it all comes down to the very final sentence in that, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's the point of that whole section of the conversation. And by the way, in most conversations about this Sermon on the Mount conversation, the main point gets lost in the entire conversation. Jesus is using these illustrations to essentially say, there's a worldview and this is my view. This is there's a worldview and I'm saying to you, there's, there, there's a, a way to do it and I'm, I'm telling you uh, this way. He's getting them to think. And then he comes to the very end and he has this like bam moment where he says, therefore you must be perfect as the heavenly father is perfect. That's the mind blow. Hey, I'm just going to, you can think about it some more, but as I've spent time in the Sermon on the Mount here and even recently again, Jesus is helping people to think. 
He's helping people to think lovingly, humbly. He's going about in the kind of a manner to where it's like this is a safe place to have this conversation. And he's also leaning into them. He's coming alongside them and talking them through what I would say is a weeding conversation. They say, I say, they say, I say. What are the weeds and what's the truth? I love this that he's helping them in this whole movement of it all. God's people, the interested around you, need you to come alongside them to, like Jesus, lovingly, humbly, boldly, routinely, and intentionally foster some weeding conversations. Sharing your faith is less about giving a presentation, more about having conversations. Two minute, five minute, 10 minute, lots of them. Let, let, let's, let's, let's keep moving along here. The outcast Samaritan, uh, John chapter four, turn there. These next three are right in John here. Um, I'm wrong, wrong page. The inquiring leader, John 3. If the presentation guy would get his act together. We've now gone from Galilee to Judea, from north to south. That'll matter in a minute. Uh, The inquiring leader, it's Nicodemus. We've met him before. Some preparing, some planting, some watering work has already been done in Jerusalem. And out of that as we talked about the other Sunday, uh, Nicodemus comes and, I'll say it this way, wants to have a conversation with Jesus, wants to have some dialogue with Jesus. He's a Pharisee. He's a religious guy. He's a leader. This is going from a conversation with many in Galilee, which would be viewed at that time as kind of like the country hick folk, to now we're in the metropolis city with a key, key leader in the whole city of it all. And Jesus, uh, and Nicodemus comes to Jesus and wants to have this dialogue with him. I would essentially say that Jesus is like, let's have a what is truth dialogue and let's go at it. Nicodemus comes and he, he, he meets with him. And verse three, it's interesting. He says, or right before that, it's like, uh, I'd like to have a dialogue with you essentially. In verse three, Jesus right out of the gate, truly I say to you. By the way, doesn't that sound like what we saw in the Sermon on the Mount? Where Jesus is making very clearly to where, let me tell you my worldview. Let me tell you my truth place to where we're now about to have a conversation. And in this, he starts out with, truly I say to you, you must be born again. By the way, you need to understand, Nicodemus wasn't asking him, you know what, I've heard this term born again before. This is like the first place it ever shows up. It's by Jesus. And Jesus like launches into this conversation, essentially about a subject. Well, look at verse four, Nicodemus replies, but, but what? <laughs> That's Greek. Like, What? Like, I want to dialogue with you. I just go in this whole thing. It's like, of all the conversations I would have had with Nicodemus at the time, it wouldn't have been this one. 
I would have been in the nuts and the bolts of what's happening and going on, who I am and what's taking place and who you are and what's taking place. And Jesus just has this way of kind of like uh, subtly uh, uh, moving it into a conversation where it's like, hey, I'd actually like to have a conversation with you that's maybe not quite exactly the conversation you want to have, although I'm not telling you all that. I'm just saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. I think Jesus is wanting to see how he's going to reply. And Nicodemus is like, wait, but how? He doesn't get shut off. He doesn't turn away. He doesn't say you are annoying. Nicodemus is actually in on the conversation. Then Jesus, verse five, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born of the spirit. And verse nine, Nicodemus, and he has some other conversation in there. And Nicodemus uh, says uh, like, but how? Hey, do you see what's happening here? Uh, don't get caught up in the data of it. Just see the manner of what Jesus is doing. I think just like in Galilee with a whole group of people, he's engaging them, getting them to think. And Jesus with Nicodemus, he's not talking in like a a weird world, but he's talking in a world that actually Nicodemus as a Pharisee and as a spiritual teacher leader, he would want to have this kind of conversation. So let's go there, man. Let's go there. And Jesus is the one initiating this here. In verse 10, Jesus leads in, I think even boldly because he's a Pharisee and because he's a teacher, uh, leads in and says, are you truly the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? It's almost like he's saying, Nicodemus, amp it up. Amp your thinking up. Dude, you are lost in what you are always being told. How about thinking? How about How about? thinking above just what someone says is their own self-determined truth set. Truly, I say to you, he then says. And it's interesting, fast, after the whole conversation of this with Nicodemus, John doesn't tell us how it ends. We don't know. What did Nicodemus reply with? Did Nicodemus raise his hand and come forward and pray a prayer? We're not told that. It's like we just have a conversation on the table. But we do know this later on when, um, I believe John chapter seven, when uh, there's conversation and some uh, misfitting going on, uh, the, the temple officers go and they grab the chief priests and the Pharisees. Who's one of the Pharisees? Nicodemus. And they have this conversation. And who is it that brings sanity to the conversation? Answer, Nicodemus. Oh, by the way, we also know at the very end of John, I believe chapter 19, where John or, or Jesus has been crucified. And who is there with Joseph of Arimathea to bury Jesus? Answer, Nicodemus. And I'm just saying, how much did this truth conversation, this weeding conversation, uh, loving, humble with Nicodemus, certainly moved him to a different place of understanding and thinking. Let's go to another one, completely different. Now let's go to the outcast Samaritan. John chapter four, a page over. Jesus is now in Samaria. He's been in Galilee. He's been in Judea. He's now in Samaria, the in-between. Uh, and let me just, for time, a summary of the conversation. You can look at your Bible. Verse 7, uh, right before that, Jesus has been traveling with the disciples. The disciples go on into the town. Jesus is crazy, uh, thirsty. He's there at Jacob's well. And verse 7, uh, he asks a woman who's there, could I have some water? I, I so want to say that with a British accent like I'm Oliver Twist. Can I, can I I have some water, please? Anyway, 
could I have some water? And then, and then we find in verse nine, uh, she says, do you understand? Look at what's happened here. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Do you see what's going on here? She is not just having a conversation, thinking about having a thinking time about water. She's having a thinking time about her worldview on what's happening right now. You're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. You're talking to me? You're even asking for me to, to provide some water to you? Like, what? She's not offended by this whole thing. She's actually fully engaged. Her mind is already blown. And verse 10, uh, Jesus says, if you knew uh, who was talking to you, you'd ask him for living water. It's like out of the blue, he throws this this love bomb out. Uh, Like, you want to talk about living water? And she's like, verse 11, sir, where do you get that water? I want to have that conversation. Are you greater than Jacob? Again, there are Jacobs as well. He then goes into whoever drinks of, I'll call it, whoever drinks of this eternal life water that I give will never thirst again. Again, I think Jesus is in the conversation. He's not being bizarre. He knows how to have a conversation to where her with her where it's like, you want to talk some more? And let's not just talk about thirsty in this well and the color of the well and how the water tastes. And, you know, it sure is a nice day out today or it sure is a hot day out today. Jesus is trying to move it to a whole nother conversation. Love. You want to talk about some spiritual things? And she, verse 15, sir, give me this water so that I might not have to come here again. Bless her heart. She's not understanding what he's talking about, but they're having a conversation. And then he says, well, he starts getting there. Give your husband a call and let's have him come here boy, wouldn't that be offensive? No, because look at how she responds. She says, I have no husband. And he says, I know you have had five husbands and your current live-in is not your husband. And, and she got ticked off and threw the water at him. No. Verse 19, look at what's going on. She's engaged in this. Goodness. I don't know if that's in there or not. Goodness, I perceive that you are a prophet. And you say that Jerusalem is where people ought to worship. Now we're moving into a worship conversation. Jesus is like, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Verse 23, 24. The Father is seeking such people who worship him in spirit and truth. Whoa, what a statement for her. This is a woman who's an outcast who whether by poor decisions on her own or whether by just tragedies of life, she's just in a place where she's at to where no one wants to be around her. She is an outcast in her own hometown. And Jesus wants to have a conversation with her. He's not worried about how cool he looks or about how awesome he looks. Oh, by the way, in fact, the disciples come back and they come back and they're like, what are you doing talking to a Samaritan woman? There's part of that that's kind of sad. But in the same part, I'll say this. Men talk with men, women talk with women. Be careful with the opposite sex conversations. And yet in this, uh, verse 28, she goes back to her hometown and she says to them, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And then she concludes, can this be the Christ? Oh, friends, I I just kind of want to go like this. It's like, I love this stuff. 
We are seeing Jesus have a conversation with a group of people who are interested in following. We find Jesus having a conversation with a high up, a spiritual, even political leader in a metropolitan city that wants to have a dialogue with him. And we see him now having a conversation with an outcast, life-trodden woman and he, in all of them, he's wanting to have a spiritual conversation of some sort with them. These are, we could say, these are planting realities. These are watering realities. They all kind of mix together in some way. But what he's doing here is he's going after there are truths and there are untruths. Let's have a conversation about what's what. And he's doing it in a creative way, in an engaging way. And then it gets down to verse 25. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us these all things. And if this was a movie, this is the point in time where Jesus says this and there's like this, oh, he says, I who speak to you am he. Oh, what a moment. What a crazy, awesome moment. It's another weeding conversation. And again, friends, I just want to say this. It's not a presentation. It's a loving, humble, engaging, intentional conversation. I don't know how long it lasted. Two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, thirty minutes. I I don't know. Uh, One more. The skeptical governor. Uh, Look to John 18. I already made reference to John 18 in the beginning with the what is truth comment. Uh, Let me read a little bit here. Uh, John 18, verse 28. Uh, Jesus comes before Pilate. It's right after uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, They've taken him. Uh, Verse 28, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was an early morning. I mean, we're not talking like 6 a.m. We're talking like earlier. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, in other words, the Jewish leaders who took them, so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. It's so sad. By the way, embedded in here are these, quote, spiritual leaders who are totally uh, going against their own rules and guidelines, and yet there they are still wanting to look like they're super spiritual. Don't you just get tired of that? Unauthenticness is so unappealing. Verse 29, so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you have against this man? Speaking of Jesus, and they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, that's what they're thinking, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, take him yourself, judge him by your own law. And the Jews said, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. (laughs) What a sham. Verse 32, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again, called Jesus, said to him, are you the king of the Jews? I mean, this is what he's supposed to do. He's asking this question. By the way, it's fascinating how he asked that question in it. They're saying he says he's a king, and he says, are you the king of the Jews? He's a political leader. He's a governor. He thinks these kinds of ways. And Jesus answered, do you say that of your own accord or did others say it about, to you about me? I would suggest Jesus is already here once again, like just in the Sermon on the Mount. Is that what you think or is that what people think? He's helping even Pilate to process this through. 
Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Uh, your own nation and the chief priests you have delivered you over to me. Uh, what, what have you done? Uh, he's getting to the point. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Uh, are you answering the question or not? Jesus is like, let's have a different conversation. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. He's trying to sift through this. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. <laughs> for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what, what is truth? The Roman culture in that day, and people think that the Bible is ancient and out of touch. That is the exact issue of our day. And after he had said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. And we could go on and I could work more and more through that and just even what takes place in it. And, and Pilate even saying after he has him uh, um, uh, beaten and all this, he says, you know, uh, hey, uh, by the way, uh, do you realize I could let you go or I could uh, have you crucified? And Jesus says, you have no authority over me. Uh, friends, I'm just gonna tell you, if, if you pull yourself away from the detail of the content of it and you understand what Jesus is seeking to do. Would you and I not, in this situation, if we were put in this where we know it was a sham deal, we would be arguing the political incorrectness of what my rights are. And Jesus doesn't have that conversation. Jesus doesn't say, you are abusing my rights. Jesus is like, I'd rather talk about something far more important than that. Jesus isn't in this coming and, and cussing Pilate out. He's actually trying to help him. It's almost like Jesus loves the dude, right? Like he wants to help him think above this whole scenario of it all. It's a fascinating reality. And today is conversation with you about these four conversations. And in a day when people were debating and deriving their own truth, Jesus really wasn't so much about presentations as he was about conversations. Read through the Gospels and you see it again and again in that. Loving, humble, routine, intentional pointing people to truth conversations, trying to help them think through, are those weeds or are those weeds? What is truth in all of this reality of it? And I need to know he's having these truth-weeding conversations with, with those who are in uh, country, uh, Countryville, He's having those with conversations with those who are in the big uh, uh, metropolis city. And he's having these kind of weeding conversations with the outcast who's in kind of the middle of nowheresville that they, most Jews don't want to have anything to do with. This is how Jesus does life whether it's the boonies or whether it's a metropolis or, or whether it's in nowheresville. Jesus wants to have conversations about more than just what's right in front of us at the moment. He's moving people to a higher place of interaction, and he's a safe place. 
You see this again and again through this. Jesus is a safe place for people to come and have conversations with. And does he have the Facebook fight with the Pharisees? Yes, he does. But I'm talking about those who are there who have a level of interest, who have a level of inquiry, who have an engagement to it. The red apples, not the green apples. Jesus is having the conversations with them. In a truth-confused world, People are looking for someone to have conversations with. People are are nervous today, friends. People are very nervous about having a conversation that's higher than the normal conversation. And as we consider permeating the West Side with the hope of the gospel, we need to be a safe place, people that are willing to have conversations about things that maybe even you're uncomfortable having conversations about. You don't have to have the answer. But are we willing to move conversations? We live in a self-deifying world. Today, if one decides that red is blue, that square is round, that top is bottom, that two plus two is five, well then, that's acceptable. And to have any conversation about that moves into a fight as opposed to a place, can we just interact? Hey, we live in a self-determining truth world where it's being said that a male can be a female and a female can be a male that men can give birth, that abortion rights are loving your neighbor, that there is no God, that there is no heaven, that there is no hell, that God is unloving, that always just lead to God, that God isn't in control, that Jesus wasn't who he said. All of them are conversation opportunities. And I'm just in this conversation today, I'm just asking, as we proceed ahead in life, might we be thinking How can we have some level of spiritual conversation at this moment in this time? Imagine if our lives were less about the one, two, three, or four, or five presentations made of the gospel over the last 20 years, and maybe more of the hundreds, even thousands of one-minute, two-minute, five-minute spiritual conversations that just dab into that realm. What about that? because we live in a world where truth is self-determined and people need help. Nabil Qureshi. Nabil grew up in a loving, Sorry, I just love this story, and it's true. Nabil grew up in a loving Muslim home. He had a deep and sincere passion for Allah and Islam. Nabil, in high school, joined the academic debate team. Um, He and his partner, uh, another student, um, 
their uh, one uh, came in fifth place in their junior year. His, his buddy was an agnostic. In their senior year, they won the state. I just put that on the table because it tells you about Nabil. Nabil was someone who wanted to think, who wanted to interact, who wanted to dialogue, who it wasn't about debating, but it was about systematic thinking in the whole thing of it. And Nabil ended up going to Old Dominion University. Um, he was selected to be on what they called their forensics team, which is the same thing there. Let me just read a little bit of his story. On the day of our departure, when his mother, Ami, uh, took him to Old Dominion, uh, she decided to drive me to Old Dominion so she could see me off. Moms, you know about that. Dads, you know about that. When we arrived at the Baton Arts and Letters Building, one of the other students on the forensics team came out to greet us. I had spoken with him a few times at practice, but we were still getting to know each other. He rushed over to us, starting helping with my bags while introducing himself to Ami. Hi, Mrs. Qureshi. I'm David Wood. Why can't I just read this? Ami was glad to meet someone from the team before sending me off to who knows where. Hello, David. Very nice to meet you. Are you going with Nabil on this trip? Yeah, he said. Uh, yeah, I said. Uh, he told me you might be concerned, but we'll take good care of him. Don't worry. Preparing and planting with loving, kind efforts, words, and deeds. Nothing David could have said would have made mom happier. Nabil, I can tell this is a good boy. Stay close to him. Okay, Ami. And so our friendship was off to a flying start. In the days to come, many would comment that David and I were foils of one another. We were both exactly the same height, six foot three. I had dark skin and black hair. David had light skin and blonde hair. I was a slender, 175 pounds. David was easily 40 pounds of muscle over me. I was very meticulous with my appearance and image, while David preferred jeans and t-shirts. I had a pampered childhood while David came out of a trailer park's a gritty past. But what I did not know about David was to, be the, was to be the starkest contrast of all. David was a Christian with strong convictions who had spent the previous five years of his life studying the Bible and learning to follow Jesus. Even though the gospel was his passion, he did not bombard me with his belief straight away. The discussions arose more naturally after we became friends in the context of a life lived together. In fact, I was the one who began bringing up the spiritual conversations. Over the next couple of years, I grew deep roots at Old Dominion. I joined many organizations, honor societies, hoping to get a vibrant college experience, beef up my resume. Apart from my membership in a handful of clubs, I became president of the forensics team. This dude was a thinker. I made many good friends, and I never was lacking in companionship, but there was no question about it. David was my best friend throughout college, and I was his. And when I was between classes and had nothing to do, or if it was time to grab a meal and no one was around, David was the one I called first. And though I could go goof off with my other friends, there was no one I connected with as deeply as David. My faith mattered to me. 
And David's faith mattered to him. And that was the level we connected on. A level deeper and more personal than most any friendship. You can read the story I highly recommend it, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, uh, Nabil Qureshi. Nabil came to Christ. After years of weeding conversation and weeding conversation and weeding conversation. More of that. More of that. God, I'm going to leave it right there. And um, you know my heart today, I just want to move our thinking. As we look at being a people that's impacting and permeating our culture and our communities and our neighborhoods and our homes and our schools and our workplaces, we live in a secular reality people are wondering if there's even a God, if there's a heaven or a hell. People are wondering what gender they are. People are wondering what success is. People are wondering, oh, so many things. And it's an opportunity. They're all around us looking for a safe place to interact. safe place to think through. May we be people that are grounded in the scriptures and increasingly grounded in living like Christ. Lovingly and humbly, boldly, routinely, and intentionally having pointing people to truth conversations. By your grace and for your glory, I pray.